0: Welcome to Head to Heart Podcast, I'm your host Jenny Markham. This bi-weekly podcast is designed to be a safe space to admit what we truly believe in our hearts. We all know the difference between just having biblical knowledge floating around in our heads and actually believing that it's true. Until God's truth makes its way into our hearts, nothing changes. We'll be doing a mix of solo episodes and interviews with friends who have experienced the freedom that comes when head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. We'll talk about overcoming lies in our relationships, mental health struggles, and the way we see ourselves. The truth will set you free so that you can walk every day in the freedom God desires for you. It's time to let go of the pressures, insecurities, and burdens that's not yours to carry. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Head to Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Markham, and I'm so thankful that you're here joining us today. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. If this is your hundredth time, welcome to the show again. So glad to have you back. Now, I wanted to ask you first and foremost, before we start the show, to please leave a rating and review. If this podcast has helped you in any way of your life, please go ahead and just leave us a rating. It helps the show so much when you do that and your review might actually be read on our next episode. I'm going to read a review from Kate B. She said, Like gathering with friends around the table. I absolutely love Head to Heart Podcast. It's like gathering with friends you love around the table to talk about the important things in life and faith and everything in between. Jenny's heart for helping others grow in their relationship with the Lord is so obvious. Thank you so much, Kate. That just warms my heart to hear. Next thing I want to tell you guys is that you know how we release a new episode every other Friday, right? Well, if you want a new episode every single week instead of just every other week, then you can become a subscriber. By subscribing to the show, you'll get four episodes every month instead of just the regular two. You'll get all access to all bonus, exclusive, and extended episodes, and they'll be completely ad-free. That's right, zero commercials and completely unedited. And it's all just for $1.99 a month. That's it. Okay, literally one singular coffee that you buy is $4 nowadays, inflation, am I right? So if you want to subscribe and join the community, you can tap on the link in the show notes and it'll lead you right to sign up. And you may have guessed it from just me talking already, but today is a solo episode. It's just me, just me and you. We're just having coffee. We're just chilling over our $4 coffees, okay? So you guys know me, but let me just give you a fun fact. As I ask every guest on the show, I'm going to give you a new fun fact about myself. And this one did not take me long to think of. You know, you get that question of what's a fun fact and your mind just goes completely blank. My mind went blank for a little bit, but then I suddenly remembered this fun fact about myself and I was like, yep, that's the one I got to share it. So I'm going to share with you my senior quote in high school. I remember distinctly thinking to myself, like, okay, it's my senior quote, it's going to be in the yearbook, I need to pick something that I won't regret later on, and my senior quote was, are you ready? (laughs) Bigfoot, true or real? (laughs) And that quote is from a Nickelodeon show. So if you know what show that's from, bonus points to you because you know exactly what I'm talking about. This episode was hilarious and I'm not going to spoil it. So if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you should look it up. And I wanted to pick something that I would never have regrets about. And guess what? I'm still regret free. Okay. I love that I picked that senior quote. And I feel like since then, Bigfoot has just kind of followed me throughout my life. I literally just had a friend who lives in North Carolina, go to the annual Bigfoot Festival, and she sent me a Bigfoot sticker and a Bigfoot keychain in the mail. Because she just knows. If you know, you know, you know? So that's my fun fact. I just, am so happy I got to share that with you guys. And then of course the next question I need to answer is the question I ask every single guest on here. What have I been set free from? Today, I'm going to talk about how I have been set free from feeling shame around my sexuality. And I've wanted to record an episode about this for a long time because the main reason I wanted to record this episode is because I hear a continual reoccurring message from Christian women about sexuality. And that message that they continually share is something like, just shut down your sexuality, ignore it, don't directly talk about it. Even if they wanted to talk about it, sometimes they don't know how because they might not have even the language to do that. And it's an uncomfortable thing. It's this thing I find that everyone secretly really wants to talk about, but you don't feel as if you have the permission to or the words to ask your questions. We don't even know the language to do that. So if you wanted to ask your questions, concerns, worries, doubts, or just any plain confusion you have about it, you don't even have the words to do that. And a lot of those feelings and those type of messages actually were birthed out of the purity movement in the church that peaked in the 1990s. This was where we get the term purity culture from. And this fear around discussing sexuality is unfortunately a byproduct of purity culture's teachings. And I definitely struggled with believing all these messages for a long time, but I have found so much freedom from it. And I have to tell you before I dive in that me and my wonderful friend Sierra recorded two episodes about the lies that came from purity culture way back in season two. So you should definitely listen to those if you haven't already. And in saying that and prefacing everything we're going to talk about in this episode, I probably will have to rate this episode as explicit with that little E in the corner. So if you have little ears around you, or if you're listening to this out loud in public, I'm going to play a commercial right here so that you can have a minute to put some headphones in if you want. So feel free to go ahead and do that, okay? Okay, welcome back. So my main goal for this episode is to give you the space to step outside of shame and walk in freedom in regards to your sexuality. Because there is this big spectrum in the realm of sexuality, right? Each one of us can find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum of how we think about sexuality. So one end of the spectrum is the extreme of, I am my sexuality. It is my identity. I can't help but give in to every urge I have. And my sexuality rules over me instead of me stewarding my sexuality. And then the other end of the spectrum is the other extreme where we say, shut it down, repress it, never act on it. That's wrong. That's dirty. That's unclean. I'm covered in shame about my sexual sin or any sexual desire that I have. And neither of those extremes are healthy. I want you to ask yourself, where am I on that spectrum? Do I feel uncomfortable or even shameful talking about it? Or do I think that my sexuality will always be in the driver's seat of my life? So much of how we view our sexuality and how we feel about it was created in the environment that we grew up in. And that includes your immediate family, it includes your friends, it includes the church, the society as a whole, and the media that you were exposed to. So go ahead, close your eyes, take a minute. Unless you're driving, don't close your eyes. That I just want you to think, what was your sex ed like? Did your family talk about it at all? Was the topic of sex addressed in your church? Or did they address it by only mentioning sins like lust and pornography? Did you feel safe to ask questions? Or like you needed to hide? You may think, well... You know, in my case, it was never actually brought up. I didn't hear anything about it. It was never talked about in my family or with my friends. In environments where a certain subject is not talked about at all, even that silence can foster some kind of shame because it communicates to the kids that it is not welcomed or safe to bring up because we just do not talk about that. Growing up, I was met with a lot of silence about the topic of sexuality It wasn't really mentioned, (laughs) and that silence created a vacuum of shame for me. And in my church, the only mention was every year in youth group, some of you will remember this, some of you went through this same exact thing. Every year in youth group, for Valentine's Day specifically, (laughs) we talked about romantic relationships. But the main message that I got from those was what is okay and not okay, and how to not go too far. But that doesn't really apply to you if you're not in a relationship, and I was not in a relationship at that time. So I never talked about it. I felt embarrassed about it. And worst of all, I thought that sexual sin was somehow way worse than all other sin. Like you could never truly recover from it. Which kept me paralyzed in fear. Looking back, I can see this pattern in my life that any teaching I really got about sexuality was very basic, purely biological, or it was rooted in fear. It was what not to do, how to not, and why you shouldn't. (laughs) And it wasn't until I came to college that God started showing me his true heart for sexuality and that there actually was so much freedom in it. God wasn't just wagging his finger at me, but he actually wanted to answer my questions and he wanted me to enjoy this gift it was like I was realizing this shame I felt wasn't actually from God. Shame wasn't keeping me safe. It was just keeping me afraid. Avoiding discussion about sexuality was not keeping me pure and innocent. It was just keeping me confused and naive. Dr. John Thomas, who teaches human sexuality at Liberty University, says sexual education is something that needs to take place over the course of a lifetime, that this is something we should always be learning. But somewhere along the line, Christians have come to the conclusion that if we just don't talk about it, or if we just give them abstinence-only sex ed, people are less likely to participate in sinful sexual activity. And I just want to clarify that what I mean by abstinence-only sex ed is you just get the basics and why not to do that before marriage. And that is it. So it's not how-tos, it's not whys, it doesn't go into why, it doesn't talk about specifics, it just talks about the abstinence part of sexual education. Christians have somehow come to this conclusion that let's not talk about it or just give them abstinence-only sex ed. But they assume that if they do that, people are less likely to participate in sinful sexual activity. But that is actually not true at all. There are countless studies showing that those who do not receive sexual education are actually more likely to engage in underage sexual activity and riskier sexual activity. Riskier sexual activity can mean drinking and having sex. It can mean unprotected sex. It can mean one night stands, anything like that. And I'm going to link some of those studies in the show notes so that you can look it up if you want to. But continual studies are showing us the same exact thing. The same goes with abstinence-only sexual education. They are more likely to have unprotected sex, underage sex, and engage in risky sexual activity more than students who have received thorough, shame-free sexual education. Because if we are not informed or taught sex ed well, how will we be able to give or not give informed consent? I personally have known a lot of women who have found themselves in situations they did not want to be in because they were simply uninformed and therefore were not able to give full informed consent. Now, I'm going to tell you something, okay? Now, there are some books written about sex from Christian perspectives and some of those are to just teach you why God created sex in the first place and the other type of books are more how-to's and more preparation for having sex preparation to get married. So if you've ever read a book where it's more so of the how-to's maybe you got it in premarital counseling maybe you got it someone gave you it in preparation to get engaged or married if you've ever read one of those Sometimes, in the very beginning of the book, it'll say something like, do not read this until two weeks before your wedding. Or something like, do not read this till one week before your wedding. And maybe, just maybe, it'll say, do not read until the month of your wedding. Can I tell you guys something? Okay, just lean in, lean in real close. I don't agree with that. The whole purpose of that warning in those books is They think, well, if you read all these graphic details about how to have sex, how to understand it, how to understand your future spouse, that will turn you on and make you want to have sex, so much so that you won't be able to wait until your wedding day to have sex. And I personally don't agree with that. I think that is a very fear-based teaching. Now, please don't mishear me or get me wrong. There is a right time and place and context to read a book like that. And I also want to say that you know yourself. So if you are assessing your heart and knowing that like, okay, if I do read a book like that more than two weeks before my wedding, it will be too much temptation for me. Then you know yourself and then that would be a wise choice for you. But I think that if you read a book like that more than two weeks before your wedding, it could give you such an amazing preparation and therefore make you feel more excited and safer going into your first sexual encounter. It can inform you and help you decide what you want to try and what you don't want to try. It can help you read and reflect on your own heart and where So ultimately, I think that saying, don't read this until two weeks before your wedding isn't entirely helpful unless you know that that's right for you. I think that those aren't entirely helpful. It seems fear based like, oh, if we give them this information, then they're just going to go ahead and have sex right now. That's not necessarily true. And we know from these studies that I mentioned in the past that I'm going to link in the show notes that a healthy sexual ed- education can help you give informed consent read reflect inform your own sexual integrity and what you want to try in the future and what you don't want to try in the future also um hello that's the worst warning ever if you say do not read this until or do not read this chapter until 2 weeks before your wedding that just literally makes people want to read it more It's like when I say, don't think about the purple hippo, and then what did you just think of? You thought of a purple hippo. It's exactly like that. Believe me, I love being organized just as much as the next person, but I have found a pattern in my life when I try to use a basic planner. It goes like this. I'm going strong, writing down what I need to do, until Thanksgiving comes around, and then I forget the planner exists until the new year. In January, I'm committed and excited to get organized, but once March hits, I can't even find the thing anymore. Have you ever experienced this? Do you ever feel like you want to get organized but just don't have the time to? Let me tell you about Life in Order. Life in Order is a business that makes 100% customized bullet journals to help set you up to thrive in your goals, business, relationships, and personal growth. My bullet journal has been a game changer for me, and the best part about it was that it was already set up for what I personally needed in my life. Now I can keep track of how much water I drink and how often I'm journaling. I also requested to put a page in there specifically dedicated to honeybees, because who doesn't need more honeybees in their life? You can find Life in Order's products on Etsy.com today to get your own bullet journal set up for your unique lifestyle. You can also use the code JENNY15, that's J E N N Y 1 5 to get 15% off your personalized journal today. So I highly encourage you, take initiative to order one and your future self will personally come back to you of today and thank you. Now remember where you thought you were on the spectrum of how you think about sexuality. No matter where you are on that spectrum, I want to give you the truth about what God says about our sexuality. The truth is everyone was created by God as a sexual being. Human sexuality in its most basic form is the human desire to know and be known in our most raw vulnerable state, to be loved for just for who you are. And we all have that desire. Your sexuality is a gift to steward. It is not a burden to carry. It's not your identity and it's not something to be ashamed about. It's not God's will for your life to live in shame. It never will be. And we all have sexuality whether we are currently sexually active or not. The real purpose for sex and that we can see in his word as well, it is a gift meant to be enjoyed The crazy thing is that Adam and Eve were created as sexual beings before the fall, before sin entered the world. And so they were able to enjoy the gift of sex before anything else corrupted the world. So sex is not like, oh, you know, they just can't control themselves. It is actually a gift that God wants people to enjoy in the safest relationship that he created, which is marriage. And then, of course, procreation this is just evidence that sex was created to be life-giving to both partners is that it has the potential to literally create another human life. And if that's the truth about what God thinks about our sexuality, then we really need to debunk all these lies that have really seeped into our culture about sex. I'm going to go through this list of each lie and we're going to debunk them together so that we can get this truth from our head to our heart. So, number one is sexual desire is the same as lust. That's not true. Those are two different things. Sexual desire is a gift from God. It is normal and one of the most universal experiences that humans go through. Which is why it's so important that we do not shame ourselves when we feel it. Lust is the sin. Lust is self-seeking and void of love lust seeks to satisfy self and take what is not yours sexual desire is not that they are two separate things the second lie is if you just suppress your sexual desire in your singleness then when you get married god will bless you with great sex now this cannot actually work maybe you wouldn't say these exact words to yourself like yes i fully believe that but maybe you are thinking If I do life God's way, and if I save myself until marriage, then I will automatically have blessed great sex. And I just want to say that your sexuality is not like a light switch that you can just turn on and off. If you suppress your sexual desire for however many years, and you shame yourself for having it, you cannot expect yourself to all of the sudden, as soon as you say, I do sex to just be so great and just wonderful and you're just having a great time. Because you will have to unlearn all those thoughts that you taught yourself to think for years on end, even as you enter into marriage. If you suppress your sexual desire and push it down and ignore it completely while you're single, you will have to unlearn that once you're married. And that would take time and a complete rewiring of your brain. There is actually something called, okay, I really hope that I'm pronouncing this right. I've asked Google to pronounce it for me a hundred times because I've heard it pronounced many different ways, but I think it's pronounced vaginismus and vaginismus, if I'm pronouncing that right, is unexplained pain during intercourse. And this happens in women where there is actually no physical reason for the pain they're feeling. And doctors and sexologists are finding this the most in people who have been abused and in the highly religious. Isn't that crazy? They are finding it in highly religious women. So that includes devout Muslim women. That includes women who are brought up in a very strict cult-like upbringing. And they're finding it in some Christian women which is so incredibly sad that a highly religious woman would have the same exact reaction and pain as someone who has been abused. God created sex to be enjoyable for both partners. If you continually shame yourself before you're married, that will not automatically stop when you are married. And also, We expect sex to be absolutely amazing right as we go into marriage, but if this is a skill that you've never done before, or maybe you have done before, but it was a long time ago, maybe you have done before, but it was with a different person than your spouse now, why would you be great at a skill that you've never done before, or you've only done with a different person before? That's just not how learning, that's not how learning a new skill, a new activity works. It is something you will always be learning in, especially if you're going to be married to this person for the rest of your life. I would hope that you continue to learn as time goes on. You will always have more to learn. You will always have more to learn about that other person. You will always have more to learn about yourself. Lie number three is sex is a man's need. Now, some of you may have heard that lie before. And some of you, unfortunately, also add... Sex is a man's need and a woman's duty. A message has somehow been given to society that the husband needs sex and if the wife doesn't give that to him or give it to him often enough that will lead to him turning to pornography or an affair because his needs have not been met. And there are several things wrong with that train of thought. First of all, You will die if you don't have food or water. You will not die if you don't have sex. And I have come to the conclusion that it is either a, you could call it a need, but if it is a need, it would be a need for both men and women, or it is just not a need in general. And this message is incredibly demeaning towards men. It is ultimately saying, you know, men just can't help it. They're just a product of their urges. They got to go get those needs met somewhere. But if that's true, then God forbid your wife gets sick or has to recover from having a baby or something. Well, I have the flu, but he's in the mood, so I can't. I guess I just have to get over it. And that is not from God. And it provides absolutely zero accountability. We are all called to have sexual integrity, we are all called to glorify God in our sexuality. And 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter that defines love for the Christian. And this applies to every single area of a Christian's life, including the bedroom. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, and always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Lie number four, we kind of already tackled, but I want to go in depth with this one. This lie says, sex is not enjoyable for women. Now I'm going to give you a list of resources at the end of this episode for anyone who wants to dive deeper into this topic. But... Sex is not supposed to be painful for the woman. It's not supposed to be painful for either of you. But I feel like women sometimes hear and accept that pain is a part of intercourse. And I just want to tell you, that is not normal. If you are experiencing pain, do not just say, well, I guess that's just how it's going to be. I'm just not going to enjoy it. It was not made to be painful. So please, please, please go to a doctor, please figure this out, please do your own research, because that is not supposed to be painful for you. And the Bible contains a book called the Song of Solomon. But if you can read that book of the Bible and tell me that the woman is not enjoying herself, then you have severely misread it. Or you might say, well, I was just told that that book was metaphorical for how Christ loves the church believe me, it is more than just that, okay? And you cannot read that book and tell me that the woman's not having a great time. Honestly, it's made to be enjoyable. And women have a part of their bodies called the clitoris. The clitoris is on female genitalia solely for the purpose of pleasure. There is no other function for this part of your body except to experience pleasure. So sex was definitely made to be enjoyable for women. The last lie I'm going to tackle is the lie that sexual sin is worse than any other sin. You can never truly recover from it. Maybe no one told you directly, if you sin sexually, that is definitely worse than every other sin. But sometimes it can be implicitly implied. And I just want to take that off of you and say that's not true. This belief is completely anti-gospel because Jesus didn't hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, except for those who have had sex before marriage. I just can't do anything for them. I'm so sorry. He didn't say that. When you sin sexually, you can turn to God in repentance and you are immediately restored to right standing with him. You wear his robes of righteousness and he looks at you in love because he already paid the price that we could never pay for sin. You could say, well, you know, if I sin sexually, like, I can never get that back. I can never undo it. But you can't undo it with any other sin either. God can redeem and restore literally anything. We are not glorifying the Lord by shaming ourselves. So I want to ask you, dear listener, What would it look like for you to live without shame about your sexuality? It could lead you to do a bunch of different things. Would it cause you to open up to a mentor about a pornography addiction? Would it cause you to thank God for your sexual desire instead of attempting to shut it down completely? Would you be free enough to bring it to God and ask him, how can I steward this well? Maybe it would cause you to do a deep dive into his word and ask him, like, what do you think of my sexual desire? Is it wrong? Is it bad? Is it a gift? What do I do with it right now? And of course, like I promised, I want to give you a little list of resources. And I have read all of these. I'm going to give you three books. There are, of course, you don't have to read a book. There are a lot of other resources too. There are a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of awesome resources out there. But I'm just going to give you three books that I've read that I would just want to say I don't agree with absolutely every single thing in each of these books, but each of them have enough valuable information that I would highly recommend you read them. One is the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. This book is all about female sexuality. One of my favorite things about this book is that it sends the overall message to women that you are normal. And she debunks a lot of lies that women have been told about their bodies and about sex. That book is a little bit science-y. If you are into that and want to learn more about the female body, I would say it's really good. The second book is called Sexless in the City by Kat Harris. Kat Harris wrote this book as a single woman trying to figure out what does God say about sexuality? What have I been taught? the church that's wrong? What have I been taught by other people that's wrong? What does God say about it? And she's figuring all that out as a single woman. And this book has some amazing journaling prompts at the end of each chapter. And then the third one is called The Gift of Sex by, okay, I don't know their first names, but a married couple wrote this book. And so I just said it's written by the Penners because Penner is their last name. So this book is great for discovering God's purpose for sex and his intention for it. And then also how-tos. I think it was mostly mainly written for married people. It does get a little bit graphic because it has drawings in it. (laughs) So it was originally written for married people, but it can be used if you are engaged and preparing to get married in the future. And I just want to say, I would love to do a Q&A episode on this topic, possibly for a bonus episode. So if you have any questions you want to send in about this topic, you could go in any direction with those questions. You can go ahead and direct message those questions to head to heart underscore podcast on Instagram. All questions, of course, will be kept completely anonymous. And I would love to just answer them. And if I get enough questions, then I will totally do an episode on them. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I pray that your heart is open to just discover what God says about your sexuality and remove any shame that you feel from that because it is not God's will for your life to remain in shame in any area. So take this to heart and run with it. Do your own research. I will list all of the things that i mentioned including the resources in the show notes and i'll see you next time thank you so much for listening to this episode of head to heart podcast it's a joy to record them and a joy to have you listen if you have any topics in mind you'd like us to cover go ahead and send us a message on instagram the handle is head to heart underscore podcast make sure you subscribe as a way of making sure you never miss an episode And if you would be so kind, go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the show so much when you do. We'll be releasing episodes to you every other Friday, so stay tuned and thanks for joining us.